I'm going to read to you the original composition of this song. This song is Psalm 3. Listen to it. Now, David had been chased all of his life, hunted, hated. He writes, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high, I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. Psalm 3. We sing that song. You read Psalm 3. How many of you survived the road to resurrection? How many? Raise your hand. Yeah. Pray for them. They've been through the mill. I was over there. Just took the tour. Terrific time. I tell you, what a, what a wonderful. Thank you, workers, for all that, what you did for those kids. Thank you so much. Turn, if you will, to Mark. Mark's gospel. 16th chapter. I'm going to try to lift out from the narrative of the four Gospels. There's four Gospels, right? Matthew, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay. So just think of it as four different uh, news reporters recording these events. And they see different things, different aspects of it. I'm going to stay with Mark. I'll pick up some from John 20, some from Matthew 28, some from Luke uh, 24, and I'm going to be picking and weaving things together, trying to keep from taking you all over and turning pages. I'm going to try to weave together the story, and I'm going to speak to you on surprised by joy, surprised by joy. Uh, Easter was full of surprises full of surprises that they hadn't counted on. Uh, just listen to the, I looked up surprise. I wanted to use the word serendipity, but it had too many vowels, and I knew I couldn't say it right. So surprise, to encounter suddenly, to take or catch unaware, unexpected gift, astonish, amaze, astound, the amazements that happened on Easter morning. When the Sabbath was over, that was a Saturday, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body, about a 100 pounds of them. They buried a person the same day they died. There was no embalming. Decomposition set in within three days. It was so bad that you did not want to open the tomb because the body began to rot. So they go there, and between the ladies, they're carrying about 100 pounds worth of spices. Remember, a woman anointed him a few days before, and now the women are coming again on that first morning, our Sunday. 
very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I think that uh, I was struck in the narrative until you've met Christ, you'll ask more silly questions that will be answered once you get there. Who's going to roll away the stone? Watch. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Have you ever found that the next day you had all the answers to your worries yesterday and you wondered why you worried? They're worrying on the way about a stone that by the time they got there, it had been rolled away. And when they get there, they meet a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. If you read the other Gospels, there were two young men. By the way, when angels show up in the Bible, they never show up as babies. They usually show up as men. Sorry, women. Be angelic is to be, well, anyway, there's an implication. <laughs> but the men, so one place you've got a, a young man appears here, the other narratives, two men, they're angelic beings. And they've rolled away the stone so that when they get there, the stone won't be a problem. The stone was heavy, maybe three, 500 pounds. It fit into a, a cement gutter. And they would roll it over so that uh, grave robbers would not get in, so that stench would not get out in a decomposing body in a hot climate and no embalming. So they get there. The stone's been moved. They, they get, gain easy entrance. And so the first problem, they are amazed who is going to move the stone, and God had already taken care of that. Stone won't be our problem. Two, they're amazed by who's in the tomb. Now imagine, I'm going to find a corpse. I'm going to look. I was there at the cross. These women were. They were there with Mary. And there was other women there. And they had seen a crucified man. They'd heard him say, Eli, Eli, love us about that I. Why did you forsake me? And then he said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. They saw it, and they followed Joseph of Arimathea when he was going there. They knew where he was buried. They followed Joseph, according to Luke. So they're up on the news. They're going to see a dead man that they had trusted was Savior, a dead man they trusted was Messiah, a, trust, a dead man who said, kill me, and in three days, in three days, I will come back alive again. So they're going there, and when they get there, the tomb has already had the stone rolled away, and inside are angelic beings. That's not too bad but we still don't have Jesus. So they're amazed, and these men begin to talk to them and begin to give them a message of comfort. The third thing that surprised them above all things is the one they were looking for was missing, and he's been missing for 2,000 years. You can't find him in the cemetery. You can't find him in Palestine. 
They couldn't find him then. And the early myth, the Jews were so afraid that Christianity could spread and go wild if it got out that Christ was missing. And so they get with Roman soldiers, the guys supposed to be guarding the tomb, who had got, been stricken by the earthquake that hit and the shaking of the earth, and they became unconscious. So they get with these Roman guards. They pay him a sum of money. Say his body was stolen. The only problem is a Roman soldier would be killed for such a story. So they said, don't worry. We'll take care of Pilate. We will go to Pilate. We will intercede for you before Pilate. Say, hey, we'll fabricate a story. Here's your money. Say his body was stolen, and that lie permeated Judaism for centuries, and many places it's still believed to be true. The Muslim world said he never did die. The Muslim world said he never did rise. So you can't have Christianity. He didn't die. He didn't rise, and so it's based upon a myth. But our prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven in 600 A.D., who will you believe? Who's right? Who's right? And so they're surprised by who's not in the tomb. And um, I think it's amazing that another great surprise that comes is who are the people that get to tell the story first that he did rise? It's a bunch of women. Can you trust their word? It's interesting. I mean, these women, in Luke 8, it was the women who furnished the money for Christ to buy things. Christ had no spending money. He didn't handle currency. Where did he get money? Now, they, we know the disciples had a bag that Judas stole from. John says that. But in Luke 8, it says Mary Magdalene and other women, they supplied all financial needs that Jesus had on this earth. When it's time for him to pay taxes, of course, if they didn't have the money, he could tell you which fish to catch and you could pay your taxes. You remember? Peter, go catch the fish. The tax amount is in the mouth of the fish. Don't you wish you could do that? It's an amazing thing that the fall began with Eve. She talked Adam into following her. And that ever since the fall, the woman has been harshly treated, just like it was prophesied in Genesis 3. Women have their place, just like men do. But no one has ever elevated women any more than God. The male world is notorious for being harsh to women and using them and brutalizing them. But Christianity is the greatest thing that ever happened to a woman. Christ, the Christ of Christianity. Early on, this Mary Magdalene, when he first meet her, she has seven demons living in her. And he said, I'll take the case, Mary. Come here. She comes to him, and he casts the demons out of her. 
the woman with the issue of blood that couldn't go to temple for over 18 years, couldn't be with family gatherings, the woman that was always considered unclean, leprous because of her issue of blood. He said, come here, touch me. Heal instantly. And when you go east from Jerusalem, when you go east, go back 2,000 years ago, Let's start with women right there in Jerusalem. What has happened to women if you go east? What's east of Jerusalem? Jordan, Iraq, Iran, India. Keep going east and go and tell me how women are doing there. Tell me in 2,000 years how how they've done. They've been used. They've been abused. They've been diminished. But where Christianity went, they got their greatest elevation in all of civilization. I wish every history department would tell the truth. Christianity did more for you than any Steinem or anybody else out of New York City. Christ did something for women. And he entrusts the gospel to them. They go tell the story. They go to the uh, disciples, if you read the narrative. They go to the disciples. And guess what? They don't buy it. Listen to what it says in verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I will continue to read. Some manuscripts don't include this, but it's in the other Gospels. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping when they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him. They did not believe it. Mary and the women saw him first. They went back. They told the disciples. At first, nobody believed it. But all of a sudden, Peter and John said, we're going to go examine the tomb for ourselves. And John and Peter had a foot race. John was younger, and he outran Peter. And it's a beautiful scene. You see the impulsive nature of Peter. When John got there, he got to the mouth of the tomb, and he stopped. And all of a sudden, right past him was Peter. He wasn't stopping for anything. He got in there. He started examining the linen cloth. He saw the burial clothes. He saw everything wrapped, folded up, no struggle, but nobody, nobody. Then they believed. They didn't believe the women, but the women were right. They bore witness of the gospel. They bore witness to the risen Christ. I give you a list here for your own. You can look at these later. 
who saw Christ once he was raised from the dead. For 40 days, he appeared on the earth. He appeared in the book of Acts. He appeared in the book of Revelation. And there were all the people that saw a risen Christ. Did you know that 500 people were still alive when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians? And he said, 500 people still live here in Palestine. Go to Palestine, you Corinthians. Look them up, and you can come up with 500 people that at one time, one time, they saw the risen Christ. 500. Not two. A Jewish court says you got to have at least two witnesses to condemn a person. How many does it take to vindicate a person? God said, I'll give you 500. Paul saw him on the Damascus Road. John, at 90 years of age, saw him on the Isle of Patmos. The women saw him. The 11, on and on and on, and he showed himself to them. You remember what the angels told the women? They said, um, and I answered the question, why was the tomb empty? They told the women when they were crying, says, wait, wait, women, you, you, you made a big mistake. What's that? You don't go looking for the living at a cemetery. He doesn't hang out at the cemetery. Three days was enough. And in three days, he conquered death because, you see, he's in charge of death. He's the one. He's never sinned. He bore our sins, so he died. But he himself is the death of death. He is the conqueror of death. Don't look for a living Savior in the tombs. He's alive. Well, of course, preaching to you, you know, this is our Super Bowl. I'm talking to the fans. You better be the fans. Uh, I'm amazed at what he says. I'm surprised by what he calls the men who deserted him, disappointed him, and failed miserably. Verse 7 of Mark. But go tell his disciples and Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Let me ask you this question. And answer it for yourself. If you'd had... 11 men that you'd invested yourself in for three and a half years, and you told them you're going to reign with me, you're going to see my kingdom come, Uh, you're my guys, you're my guys. Three and a half years, you'll see miracles, you'll go to the Mount of Transfiguration, on and on and on. And by the way, You all will desert me in the hour of my greatest trial. And Peter, as the outspoken spokesman for them, you will fail the most miserably. Pride always goes before a fall. And you brag the most about your loyalty. And you will fall the hardest. Let me say this. I am surprised that he didn't say, go tell the jerks that bailed out I'm alive. 
Go tell the guys I just fired from being my followers. Go tell them. Go tell them I'm going to pick another 11 guys because I sure can't trust them. He would have had every right to start all over. But he gives you and I the gospel that you can still be a disciple of Christ and have failed him miserably. Some of you have walked away from Christ. Some of you are disappointing Christ right now the way your attitude. You might have made it to church and thank God you're here. We'll treat you nice and kind just like God will. But will you come back after this Sunday? Maybe you've walked away from this Christ. He's not, you've got a thousand excuses for why you left. Well, we thought you were the Messiah. We didn't buy that suffering stuff. That's Isaiah's stuff. We, no, no. If you're going to be a king, you count us in. If you're going to get crucified, you're on your own. And so you've got your reasons you went back. Admit it, cowardness, pride, some stumbling block, some excuse for why Jesus is not Lord in your life, why you are not following Christ now. He liked to say to you, if you ever were my child, come back. Come back. You can still be my disciple. You can still be my disciple. And I don't think there's half of you, you know, you wouldn't have had one guy in the lot. And God forbid we have Peter. I can't imagine what it had to feel like for the other ten men to hear Peter preach on the day of Pentecost. Good night, Lord. Couldn't you get a different speaker? How about, why don't we fly in somebody? We know what a flop this man is. How could he preach a Christ he denied? And how can you testify of a Christ you keep failing? You keep walking away from. Oh, he's a Savior. Is he for you? He's the Lord. Is he of you? Will your kids get saved watching you? Will your family ever know God watching you? Are you a bailout artist? Have you gone back? Are you back fishing? Have you gone back to the old crowd, the old thinking? He says, go tell my disciples I've not given up on them. They failed the major test of their life, but I'm a loving, long-suffering God. I'm the only one that can give failing disciples to heaven. Go tell him, well, I have not given up on you. I've not given up. And what's amazing, only in Mark is the name Peter mentioned. You know why? Peter's dictating the book of Mark from memory to Mark. And he said, Mark, you write it. I'll tell you what happened. That's how you get Mark. Mark got it from Peter. And he singled me out, son. I can imagine him dictating it. And by the way, he said, go tell the disciples. And by the way, and Peter. I think the man that lived with the greatest guilt and who felt he had forfeited his right to ever be a follower of Christ again, single him out and say, Peter, I prayed for you, I've died for you, and your failures won't keep me from working with you. I'll continue to work with you. That is a miracle that only a loving Savior could do. Well, uh, 
I think that when they went to the disciples, the sixth surprise to me is that none of them believed it at first. Isn't that amazing? They just didn't believe it. And when you read the gospel narratives, and you read the narrative in John 20, that uh, one evening they were having dinner together, and all of a sudden, without a door knock or anything, whoop, here's Christ in the room. Hello, guys. What? How did you get in here? This is before Gasper the ghost or any of that stuff. And, and a lot of times they thought he was a ghost. You remember on the Sea of Galilee, they always get mixed up about him. And he just shows up. And my, they, they have this meal, and they're taking in Christ. Who missed that occasion? Thomas. It's what happens when you miss church. I was telling for service, Carolyn, when I went home Friday night, she wasn't feeling well. And so when I got home, she said, how was the service? It was outstanding. Heaven came down. Glory filled my, she said, I knew you'd say that. <laughs> Have you ever missed a meeting that everybody just told you how great it was and they, you, you'll never know it? You got to be there. And Thomas said, well, I won't buy. You guys are telling me you saw him. That's nice. That's nice. But uh, you're hallucinating. Something's wrong. And the next week, they were all back there eating again. And he told them, I won't ever believe unless I physically can handle and see the wounds in his body. I just don't believe it. A week later, Jesus shows up. Hello, Thomas. I see you made it. Can you imagine a resurrected man talking to you? Whoa. Uh, yeah, yeah, and you know what? I, I know what you said, Thomas, about the last meeting. These guys are crazy, and, and you need empirical evidence. i got to handle it. It's not true unless you can get it under a microscope. He said, well, I'm here. I'm here. What you need, Thomas, come over here, right there. I want you to put your hand to my No, no, no. I said, get over here. You're the doubter. You're the one that says you won't believe unless you have empirical, tangible, physical evidence. Not just made up high in the sky, Christianity. Get over here. Look. Look at my side. I want you to look at my hands. Right there. It wasn't in his hand. They put the spikes here. His hands, it would rip off and he'd fall off the cross. They drove the spike right there. Cool. I want you to examine it, Thomas. And he said, my Lord, my God. For a Jewish man to say that, this is my God. This is deity I'm dealing with. And Zechariah said when he comes back the second time, Israel will wail and they will look on him whom they pierced and they will repent. We killed the wrong man. And he, he says, he comes to faith. He believes I'm amazed there's still people in the world today, we can't get them to believe it. Did you know what's interesting? They say the history of Greece was written by Herodias. Herodias, the copies of his history are no more, if I remember right, there's no more than 50 copies. There might even be 500 copies 
of a historical event. You see, there's some of you, you don't believe anything you can't see. You don't, that's why you don't read history. It didn't happen if you weren't there. Do you remember what Iran said about the uh, Holocaust? What the Khomeini said, the civil leader of Iran said, there was no such thing as a Jewish Holocaust. And he pronounced it to Iran, and it went on world news. The Holocaust did not happen. Start expunging history. I don't like it. Expunge it. Expunge it. Well, you ought to tell six million Jewish people who lost their mothers, their fathers, their aunts, their cousins, and their family tree in Auschwitz and in the other camps of Germany and Poland. How dare you rewrite history? Who gave you the right to rewrite history? History happened whether you were there or not. You don't have to be. Lincoln existed whether you ever saw him or not. Can I hear you? Is there any history majors? Come on. Do you read any history? And now we've got 5,500 copies of the New Testament. 5,500 copies from the first century that says this man was crucified, was buried, sentenced under Pontius Pilate. It's found in secular literature. It's found in Josephus. It's found in the Bible. He came. He died. He rose again. He really did. We're not making it up. A surprise I did not put, the final surprise, is after everybody went to the tomb and they went back, even Peter and John who had run there, John 20, and they went back to be with the disciples and to tell them the good news. Mary's there by herself, Mary Magdalene. And uh, she's crying, it says. And all of a sudden, she hears a voice, and so she had her back to the voice, and in her mind, she thinks, uh, I'll turn, and either in the turning or the listening, she thinks, the gardener must be here. This is early. Maybe the gardener's here. So she turns, and there's a little conversation, and she all the while thinks it's the gardener. She still doesn't realize who she's talking to. Grief can do that. Sorrow can blind you. Tears can blind you. She doesn't know. And after a while, something happens in the conversation. Jesus simply does this. He says, Mary. And instantly she knew it was Jesus. How is that true? Even in his resurrected body, he kept his accent. He still said the nuance. She remembered Luke 8 when he said, Demons, come out of this woman. Demons, depart. Mary, you're free. Mary, you're mine now. Mary, you're my sheep. And my sheep know my voice. Mary and the surprise that the resurrected Christ still knows your name. 
and will still speak your name like he did in time. Have you ever heard his voice? God lets you hear his voice. One day I was talking with Matt and they could say, well, we don't hear voices today. I said, whatever you want to say, I heard the voice of the shepherd. John 10, and I don't need anybody wrestling with me how I heard it. I heard it. Well, are you hearing voices? Yeah. I heard that voice say, come unto me. This is God's voice, and his spirit bears witness. And guess what? I didn't get saved by reading the Bible. I got saved hearing a man preach the Bible, and the Holy Spirit ganged up with the preacher and the Bible, and I heard God come, receive Christ. Has he ever spoken to your heart and said, come, I'll give you eternal life. I'll become your master, your shepherd, your guide. I know how many times you failed. I know how bad you've been. I know you don't think you can follow me. You're too bad. You're this. You're this. Let me tell you, if Jesus calls you, Jude said three things about us. You are beloved of God. You are called of God. And you are kept by God. If he calls you, he'll keep you. Hear his voice. 